Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak to Brad Sampson, who is the CEO of Core Potash. They're a very large project in the Republic of Congo. And we discuss what he's been able to achieve in his two years at the helm. We talk about the change of business plan to focus on DX, the main project uh, where they're hoping to get into early production to show a route to market and get some cash flow and what they're going to be doing with cola uh, later on. Um, lots to uh, learn about about the world of uh, potash, something that not many people pay attention to or are interested in, it seems, but perhaps they should be. So enjoy the podcast. Brad, how are you doing, sir? I'm, I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, pleasure. So you're, uh, you're sitting in my old hometown where I was born, sunny Brisbane. How's life? Indeed I am. Beautiful place. No, life, life is good here. We're facing the same challenges that the rest of the world's facing at the moment, though. So yeah. yes, it's, it's interesting times. Not a bad place, though, to do it. You were telling me just before we kind of came on air that uh, Qantas CEOs said potentially no international flights until July next year. It's a pretty interesting statement, isn't it? It's, uh, I think... Uh, my view is potentially that's a smart move for an airline industry CEO. Is uh, he's he's got lots of cash in in his uh, in his war chest, and uh, set a fairly conservative expectation of what the future will be like, and uh, and outperform against it. I, I suspect that's the plan. Shrewd, shrewd. Okay, Brad. Um, let's let's hear your story. If you don't mind, can you give us a one minute overview of the story for people new to this, and then we'll pick it up from there. Yes, Matt. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Core Potash, and, uh, and I joined the company just on two years ago, and Core's developing very large potash deposits in a country called the Republic of the Congo. These, these projects and these deposits are significant in scale, they're significant in terms of the quality of the potash, and very importantly, the location lends itself to very, very low costs of potash delivered to the customers and that's what's important is is the value add to the customer and we'll be able to to sell them potash at, at cost to us lower than the rest of the world okay why don't we just um cover off what potash is and what the competition mm. is in terms of you know people think of it as a fertilizer and uh, nutrients etc and it's all very wide and varies uh, is the thinking so why don't you kind of sort it out for us Sure, we're very happy to do that, Matt. Potash is a kind of a, a term that covers almost all of the uh, the agri-nutrients that supply or the the, the, the fertilizers that supply potassium to crops. Three very important nutrients for, for all crops and particularly for food crops, nitrogen, uh, phosphorus and potassium, so NPK. So we will produce the K and almost all of the sources of K get lumped into this, this basket called potash very big market globally some 65 million tons being traded globally uh, of that basket of of uh, potassium sources uh, called potash one of them is mop and that is the dominant source of of potassium for for fertilizers and that is what we will produce mop or muriate of potash chemical formula is potassium chloride and it represents some 93, 94% of the, of the total potash market globally. And the reason is it has the most potassium per molecule. So it's potassium chloride and there's, there's nothing else in that molecule. The other sources of 
of potassium are things like SOP or sulfate of potash, um, NOP, nitrate of potash, uh, there is SOPM, so it's a sulfate of potash, magnesia, has a bit of magnesium in it. And then there's this, there's this other uh, relatively new um, thing that uh, Sirius Project is planning to produce or Woodsmith Project called, uh, it's a polyhalite. And that has very low levels of lots of nutrients. And one of those is, is also potassium. So very commonly that gets included into this potash basket as well. Okay, your MOP, well-established uh, in the market, 93% of the market, um, so no need to um, try and educate the market there. So that's good. But um, if I may, can we start with what you set out to do? I'm trying, I always, with new stories, I love to get in the minds of the management team and understand a little bit about them, perhaps you know, where they've come from, why they've started this project and what they've set out to build and have they had to adapt, change, uh, anything along the way. So can you kind of give us a little bit of history there? Absolutely. Look, when I was first invited to have a look at CORE and consider you know, whether I had interest in, in joining CORE, I was immediately intrigued by the quality of the assets, the, the mineral resources the company has in the Congo. Then that's the first thing. This company has 6 billion tonnes of potash mineral resources in, in the ground in the Republic of Congo. Jork compliant mineral resources, large, large deposits. Um, it could, and uh, the work, earlier work that had been done suggested that this com we could produce potash at very, very low costs. Right? So what I was looking at was tier one potash asset in the, hand of, in the hands of a, a junior company. So uh, joined the company at a time when uh, we were actually quite well progressed nearing the end of a definitive feasibility study on one of, one of the projects in the basin. And there are, there are multiple projects. Um, immediately commenced a review of all of the strategic options. We, coming in as the new CEO, I wanted to understand you know, was this the best option, and uh, and you know, and were there other options, and how would they, they all fit together? And you need to understand, Matt, six billion tons is a lot of potash, right? And uh, and shareholders want to know what you're going to do with all of that six billion tons. So I wanted to form a view on that that pretty quickly. Interestingly, out of that exercise came a brand new deposit didn't exist before before we went looking working through this strategic review and uh, called the dx deposit and closer to the coast than all of the other deposits higher grade very very interesting in, in global terms probably the highest grade potash project in the world so identified that new project at the same time that we were completing definitive feasibility study on the cola project so very large tier one asset designed as a conventional underground mine and um, very quickly then did a scoping study on the DX project to try and understand how it might fit in this within this basin and this six billion tons of of mineral resources and it appeared to me very quickly that um, whilst we were well advanced with the Kohler project the DX project actually probably presented a much more rapid pathway to first production with very potentially very 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 lucrative margins, so so when you ask about what what changed when I came into the company, that that was the start of, of reshaping the strategy and putting together what I I now believe is a very logical development sequence to unlock the, the 
the massive value, latent value in this in this large mineral resource. Okay, so we'll let, let's get into this because you, you've you've used um, lines like it's it's low cost, it's high grade with good mm. infrastructure, and there's a lot of it. Okay, those are really really positive. If I look at Dugu, which seems to be the thing you're pushing in the PowerPoint initially, you know IRR of twenty two point nine percent doesn't seem like a lot, um, but it might be worth just trying to understand the, and dig into the priority and the order of play here because, you know, at whatever you are, you're about 17 million market cap today. You've got, how much money have you got in the bank at the moment? Yeah, last reported cash, 4.7 million. 4.7 million cash. Okay, so that, that's not too bad. So it's dollars. And Matt, that's dollars. I know you just, you're just talking pounds and I'm talking dollars. Okay, dollars. Okay. So, it's still, not 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 too bad. Um, but you are small. You've going you're going to have to be frugal. You're going to have to be efficient with the with how you do things, the order of which you do things. This comes back to your business plan. Okay, so you understand the the priorities. You know, you understand you've got a DFS, you've got a PFS, you've got a lot of information. So talk me through how you're going to spend your money and create shareholder value and get to market and all of those other lovely things that you're going to need to try and um, do. So how you, what's the next thing you do? The DX project is actually a very important, very, very important part of that. And that and um, that, that whole journey that we have to go on and having knowledge of that whole journey is part of what drove me to to um, kind of accelerate the development of the DX project because it has a very short timeline to first production. <clears throat> and that that's the key that's a very important part of it is is get to cash generation as rapidly as possible the dx project has the capability of of generating over 95 million dollars a year free cash for a very long very very long time so how do, how do you how do you do it, it, it so that's a nice number so how, what are you going to need to spend how long is it going to take to allow you to start that process give me some numbers <laughs> there are some numbers i'm not going to give you today because i just don't have them yet matt and uh, but I'll, 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 there are lots of things I'm, you know, that we are going to do that I can talk to. And um, clearly next steps are more feasibility work. We've just completed a pre-feasibility on, on the DX project. Um, the, the really good thing out of that pre-fees is we've, we know we've got a low, a low technical risk project with very robust economics. We're really excited by the outcomes from that. We know that it's short construction period. We know that it's its capital cost is under $290 million, including contingency. So it's eminently financeable. So, so we will progress the feasibility work and there'll be, and we, we haven't finalized the design for definitive feasibility study. We haven't finalized the work planning yet, but what you should expect to see is, is pieces of work to cover uh, seizing opportunities or pursuing opportunities that we've identified from the pre-feasibility study and also doing further work to mitigate known risks and risks that all projects face. So opportunities, a good example of, of one of the opportunities that we'll pursue is in the pre-feasibility study, we have already have an 18 and a half year project life. That's based solely on ore reserves and it only exploits 22% of the total mineral resources at the DX project. So you can see if we, if we actually exploit 100% of the mineral resources of the DX project, it seems real, fairly logical there, there's potential for significant growth in, in the project life. So we'll pursue some opportunities like that. And in, you'd expect that those opportunities, realizing those opportunities will add, add value to shareholders. Okay. At the same time, we'll pursue some of the obvious, very obvious risks you know, um, <clears throat> around 
um, the design of our process plan, more engineering work, more dissolution test work. That this is a this is a, a low risk pro mining and processing method. It's well understood. It's potash industry standard, and we've completed a pre-feasibility study. We need to do more work to tighten up the design and, and firm up our cost estimates. And when I talk about risks, that's what I'm talking about. Just just getting tighter estimates on, on how this project will actually perform. Okay, so your idea there is get, get into production early, get some cash flowing, show a route to market, show technical competence um, in a jurisdiction, where you're, which you're telling me is easy to do. But, well, actually, it's a funny one. A few people have said, uh, been t talking to me about this, oh, you must introduce Corey, they've got a project in the DRC. There you go. Quite close, but not close enough. Some people get <laughs> get confused about about the, the DRC and the Republic of the Congo, yeah. Matt. And, yeah. and I can understand because for the most part, if you, if you uh, do an internet search on the Congo, 99.9% .9 of your hits will relate to the DRC. That country has 85 million people and is in the press all the time. Republic of the Congo on the coast of Africa, 5 million people, former French colony. You don't hear very much about it. And my my take on that is because there's not a lot that's actually that, that newsworthy and that makes the, uh, the, the sensationalist news channels. So it's it's a pretty quiet place well, yeah they've got very different risk profiles associated with Completely them um, in terms in the marketplace it's worth just it was just, oh, sorry about that segue but it, it needed to be said because i was, I was no, amazed at how many people said it um okay so dsx you as i said you've said right we're going to follow this 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 model so what's it going to take for you to get into production what what's the timeline how much money uh, obviously you're going through the feasibility process but talk, talk me through what you're picturing here I can't talk to how much it's going to cost yet because that that's still work that's afoot. We, we've not finalised that yet. Uh, what we would expect is um, if we're able to fast track the DX development, we would have a definitive feasibility study. That's somewhere eight to 12 months of time frame. Uh, we would then ideally then move into a front end engineering and design phase and then into and then into construction. Front end engineering and design, if we do that in conjunction with the definitive feasibility study, we could have both phases done in 14 or, or, or 15 months. So part of the conversation now is how to, how to best um, divide up these, these packages of work and which ones, which ones to tackle up front. Keeping in mind, Matt, that as we, as we further de-risk this project, what we'd expect to see is our, our share price improve, appreciate, and uh, shareholders start to, investors start to reward us for demonstrating uh, this project is is bang on track to be delivered. You'd expect it. It doesn't always happen because people it get a little people get a little bit bored. So that's what I'm saying. If if people can sort of see where the end point is, the that that kind of getting from here to there can be quite frustrating for CEOs and companies because people don't recognize it they want it fully de-risked sometimes okay i'm not, not saying saying in your case um okay so that that that's interesting to me um so you can't give me a number on what's what that's going to cost you you've got a certain amount of money in the bank at the moment you're going to need to go back out to market to get this thing over the line aren't you as soon as at some point of course matt we'll be yeah, there's, there's no secret we're a, a junior developing a project uh, that that is the normal model right is you you take some money do some de-risking, uh, add some value for shareholders, take some more money. We'll be no different. We, we will we will take some financing in at some point to to finance the next stages. But given the scale of what you're, you know, purporting to have here, I'm interested in the type of money. Do you have to go and get dilutory 
money? Are you going to be diluting shareholders to be able to raise the capital to get you over the line? Can you bring a strategic in? What are the other types of fundings that, fundings that you would consider or have available to you? Right, let's come back to, uh, are we, will we be dilutive? Uh, ideally not, Matt. What, as we go on this journey, you know, I'll come back to what I said, in, in, that uh, as we de-risk the project and as we spend shareholders' money wisely, we should see that translate into, into value, right? And uh, so you know, people who invest now should actually see uh, capital growth on the back of that, that, that appreciation in the share price. Right? Um, in terms of how do we finance the next stages, you know, yes, we, we can. We can go. We're considering all of the options. So, you know, we are pursuing strategic investment, just as, as you referenced. Uh, we have conversations afoot with with all of the groups you'd expect us to be talking to. So, we know that there's significant interest in in our project. Uh, we have a very supportive uh, shareholder base now that have been with the company for some time. Uh, they have. They also have have large balance sheets. And, uh, and they're supportive of all of the conversations that I'm having with, with our investors or with, sorry, I should say with potential investors, Matt. Okay, okay. Um, so finally, let me, I want to understand the market a bit more. I know you've sort of broken it down technically for us and you're in the MOP space, got it. But if I look at some of the big players, BHP with the Janssen project, you've got Anglo-American who bought Sirius recently. Um, does the world need another potash company? Good question. It's interesting, isn't it, that you've seen multiple majors move into the potash space, with uh, with massive projects, with big capital, big capital costs, billions, billions and billions. Yeah, and uh, and here's Core Potash uh, with its its hands on what I think is in fact a far more exciting asset, and uh, and we're this this little minnow at this stage, and and I guess what that highlights to me is that uh, our understanding. The reason I'm the reasons that I'm excited about being in the potash space and my understanding of the potash market is uh, is well founded because I'm seeing those majors going after the same or similar opportunities to the to the what drove me to join Core. Now, um, those projects are interesting, and and if uh, you've been looking at our our latest presentation, and you'll see some some comparative data there showing how our what our cost structure will look like in comparison to those projects, we will outperform them on operating cost. Will outperform them on our cost delivered to port, and and in some cases significantly outperform them. We'll be much cheaper, and then we have this advantage over all of those groups. We're right next door to the markets we're targeting. We've we are very very close. We have almost no land transport costs uh, to get to port, and then once we're on the ship, we have very very short shipping distances to our African neighbours, and then across the Atlantic Ocean into Brazil. And Brazil is a very large market for MOP. It's some it's some 10 million tonnes out of global potash demand of uh, some 64, 65 million tonnes. So we have very low capital cost to get into production. Our capital cost for DX, $286 million. The, the companies that you mentioned are four or $5 billion to get into production. And they are spending years uh, trying to get the designs right and then, and then build those projects. And then in the case of BHP, they haven't even reached, not even close to final investment decision yet. So we, we're not, uh, we're, I don't believe we'll be competing in the same market as those groups. I believe that uh, um, we, will, we will be able to outperform them cost-wise uh, and we will penetrate our target markets very quickly. Now, one other dimension of this, our project will produce 400,000 tonnes per annum. We're not, we're not producing millions and millions or tens of millions of tonnes of product 
as those major companies are and I already know from the level of offtake interest that we've got we don't envisage any problems at all selling our product we, we know there is a market for our product we know that there are customers ready to be taking uh, potash from us particularly African and South American countries want to buy from a southern hemisphere potash producer okay but what what I'm interested in is um People at Anglo PHP, they've, they've got money. They have no problem accessing capital to do these projects. So if it's billions to kind of get into production, they could care less, right? It's, it's, it's relatively cheap money for them. For you, you've got, you've got that hurdle to overcome some point down the line. You're, you're having conversations, I get it. Um, but what does that do for price in the market? The, 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 the price tension that you want. You want, as a seller, you want the margin to be as big as possible. So you're talking about your low cost, um, producer close to port or for all the good reasons you've got the, all the infrastructure but if the price remains low if there's a lot of product in the market it will continue to remain low there's no shortage of this stuff you know we've interviewed a few potash companies um, this year um, no one cares I think that's pretty harsh for you to say that nobody cares Matt I think I think that well look at the market look at the market look at the share price of these companies you know they are struggling to get attention so I'm saying from that point of view no one cares and you know you know I want you to tell me why why they should I think in part um, the market equity capital markets don't yet really understand potash this is a relatively new new commodity it's it's not it's not been seen before there's not 20 years history of juniors trying to develop potash projects this this is a this is a news story right? and there's very few companies working working in this space in, in terms of the overall market for, for potash also please it's really important to keep in mind this is a big market you're seeing majors go into the market because of the scale of the market right? and, and I, I told you it's 64 65 million tons per annum and there there is this thematics behind this that are driving growth so Population, global population growing. We all know that. We know that that the amount of arable land or amount of land available for agriculture is declining. So you put you put declining arable land, growing population together, you get this accelerating downward um, trend on how much arable land is available per person. So how do we feed people? We need more intensive farming. We need to apply more fertilizer, increase yields so that we can feed everybody. That translates into ongoing demand growth for fertilizer and particularly for um, potassium and for potash. So on the data that we've got, we're, we're seeing two to 3% per annum demand growth. So even if all of the projects that you're talking about come online, demand growth will, will fairly rapidly soak up that, that new supply. Okay, how much money have you raised to date? Me personally? Well, I'm not sure if I'm talking about you. No, the company. In the time that I've been I've, I've been in I've been in core uh, for just on two years and and raised uh, thirteen and a half million dollars last year to undertake the DX pre-feasibility study, and uh, that was heavily supported by uh, our existing shareholders, and uh, and then there were some new some new institutions came into the register as well. Okay, where I'm, where I'm getting at is um, if I'm looking at the share register, you know how much of an overhang there is, you know your ability to drive that share price up if there are long suffering shareholders sitting in core at a certain price who will get out at the first opportunity you're going to have to get through that and work your way through that so what's your what's your what's the, what's the conversation around the board table on that topic i don't believe you should, that anybody should be looking at our, our major uh, 
institutions and major shareholders in the core register and seeing them as overhang. I think they should be seeing them as, as committed support. And uh, they are all heavily invested in this, this project. There's, Matt, uh, my numbers tell me there's more than $150 million been spent so far developing these, these projects in the Republic of the Congo. That's a lot of money. It's still a small amount of money in comparison to what you're seeing the, the majors spend on, on potash projects. And the majority of that funding has come from uh, you know, the, the handful of shareholders who own 65 or 70% of, of core potash. And uh, they're committed. And they, they want to see the, the true value of this asset being realised. And they certainly don't have immediate exit plans at all. Okay. Hey, when's the last time you bought shares? Uh, a little um, good question, Matt. I just need to think back. Uh, roughly, I might, I might have the date wrong, roughly six months ago. Okay, and that's interesting. It's it's actually quite difficult for CEO of a of a UK and Australian listed company to buy to buy stock, particularly when you're in in the middle of feasibility studies and having discussions with offtake parties. It it, it besides the blackout periods, it, it uh, everything else you're up to pretty much precludes you from trading the stock for most of the year. Yeah. Okay. And so so tell me a bit more about these big shareholders and your relationship with them, because obviously you know. Hasn't been brilliant for the last couple of years. If we're looking at the share price, it's it's been on decline. What are they saying to you? My my larger shareholders are saying they're actually very supportive of the strategy. And let me take you back to when I started. We undertook this review of all of our strategic options, and then I immediately went and engaged with with all of the major shareholders, and not just not just the ones that own thirteen or fourteen percent, but went. Uh, further down to institutions that own you know, one and two percent of the company, and had conversations about about shifting the strategy, focusing on the DX project, and what that would mean. All of those shareholders have been very supportive of that shift in strategy, and all of them have been providing finance or provided finance for the, the pre-feasibility study that's just been completed. In one case, we have a large. Um, shareholder SQM. SQM is a, is a Chilean um, mining company. They produce lithium and potassium. They have significant uh, technical capability that's directly relevant to what we're planning to do at the DX project. They're in the potash market. They're used, they have expertise in pumping uh, potash brines uh, around and processing potash brines. So besides the, you know, the, the cash support, we're also able to have conversations with with some of our shareholders, including SQM, on technical support and um, and using their expertise to help de-risk this project and add value for all shareholders. Do you think? What about your liquidity? I mean, it seems to be quite tightly held. So if anything does trade, it does have a a positive or a negative impact in quite a big way. So is there anything you can do about that? Yes, there is, Matt. And uh, you're going to tell me that it's dilutive and uh, it's it's about. Um, it's about shaping the register over time as, as we have new new issues and encouraging new groups onto the onto the register, new investors. And and it's not going to be resolved overnight. That that will take some time. And it's it means we want some institutions who'll buy, we want some some people who'll sell, and we just have to increase the amount of free float and uh, and work at it. And I've been through this before in other companies and it won't be solved overnight. However, it will be resolved. So you're looking at it. Something you you want to address. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's talk about your peers, because I, I think I think I've spoken to a handful of them. Um, 
And you're going to tell me you're undervalued, of course. So why don't you kind of lay out for us why you're the sort of top of the the tree, why you're the pick that people should be looking for if they're going to invest in potash, the you know relatively unknown potash, which should be part of their portfolio. I think there are multiple factors here, Matt. I think um, we're actually at a very advanced stage. So in terms of our uh, our projects and our and our arrangements in the Republic of the Congo, we are far in advance of most companies would be considering we're doing a pre-feasibility study on, on the DX project. We actually have a mining convention in place with the Republic of the Congo government that defines the fiscal and all the legal relationships between uh, between the government and us. We have two mining licenses, so uh, the COLA deposit, uh, uh, two the two deposits we talk about the most, COLA and DX, are both on mining licenses. So they're approved mining licenses with approved environmental and social impact assessments. They are close to development ready, but for us finishing the, the DX brief, uh, sorry, definitive feasibility study. So, so we're at a very advanced stage. Right? And that, that takes out a lot of risk around timeline right? because we don't have to go back and do things. One exception to that is as we complete the design for the DX project, we will go back and and uh, modify the existing environmental and social impact assessment to properly deal with impacts of the DX project on that on that mining license. Our scale will we'll, we'll produce 400,000 tonnes of MOP. We're not going to have a problem. I'm very confident that we're not going to have a problem selling our product. Why am I confident? Because we've had multiple parties talking to us now about about buying our product. That scale of production, we're very comfortable. We'll find find markets for that in Africa and, and South America. If if we need to, we may be, we may in fact be able to place all of that that production in Africa, where where we should get the best net backs. And this is an important concept, right? is that we should be able to outperform all of our peers because of our location and our cost structure. So low cost at the ship loading point, but then we have very short transport distances and the way potash is sold is at that destination port. So we we have to take off the transport costs of the product. So on a, on a per tonne uh, sold basis, we should have the best margins in, in the business. We've got a team that's developed multiple projects before, a board that's very ex- experienced in the resources space and shareholders are also really supportive. And I mentioned SQM previously. Their, their capability is directly relevant to, to the majority of, of what we're going to do in the development of the DX project. So we're in a good position to uh, to successfully execute this project in a, in a fairly rapid time frame and make, and make generate a lot of cash for our shareholders. Because essentially, you mentioned SQM. So the, a, a byproduct of, of lithium production sometimes is, is potash, right? So have they spoken to you about that component? Do they, do they have big technical resources? Because it, it usually is a byproduct. It's like an afterthought. But unfortunately, they produce a lot of it. So any conversations with them around that? Yes, Matt. We, we, we engage very well with SQM. They are very supportive technically. They've, uh, they've provided us... Um, support both on the, the COLA project and particularly on the DX project and going into the pre-feasibility study and we're speaking with them now about um, the work, the packages of work that we will undertake in the next steps. Okay, interesting. And let me just finish off with just in terms of risk mitigation. You said, you know, Republic of Congo, good place to do business, but it's a big country with, you know, 
I, I don't know what the I've been to Brazzaville, but I've, I, you know, I don't know if the infrastructure has improved in terms of getting to port. You know, about, you know, getting. I get the pricing is good, but what's what's been happening in country? Have you got a nice easy route into port or what? I'm really glad you asked that question because uh, it's actually one of the one of the really nice things about our location. We're roughly 80 kilometres north of Pointe Noire, and Pointe Noire, for those who don't know, is a, is a large port on, in the middle of the West African coast. The town itself is somewhere between 750,000 and, and a million people. It's it's a, a city that has all of the mod cons, and uh, you can fly into Pointe Noire from multiple African European cities and if you're able to do it tomorrow mate you could get into a, a local taxi and drive straight up to our project site right so there is a road a, a road all the way to our project site uh, runs pretty much due north up the coast from Pointe Noire and um, uh, currently has bitumen on part of it and within our, our capital costs for the DX project we, we've planned to upgrade that road and improve the quality of that road all the way from the port to our site so that we can truck our 400,000 tonnes a year of production to the to the port and, uh, and load directly onto ships. And that's one of the advantages. We, we're very close to port infrastructure, very close to a major population centre. Uh, fortunately, the Republic of the Congo has, uh, has a, a strong oil industry and there's lots of gas, there's processed gas available for us uh, within uh, similar distance away as Point Noir, so sort of 65 to 80 kilometres away, we have processed gas, and we have uh, abundant electricity available to us as well. It's it's gas generated, so gas turbine generators uh, for electricity. So we're very fortunate with uh, with our proximity to infrastructure. Yeah, so and I just wanted to make that point because I, I was I was there when I was there. I was uh, dealing with oil and gas. Um, I think the government seem very easy to do business with. Uh, there is a rule of law. There is a well dependence on the revenue that comes through from these things. So, are you finding that? Are you dealing on a, a national or a regional or state level? I mean, how, how, where, where, who do you engage with? Most of my engagement and the company's engagement is actually is actually split. We we spend obviously our local communities around us are very important, and we engage with them on a, on a very very regular basis. At the national level, the, the multiple ministries we deal with, environment, uh, mines, and when we need their time, they give us their time. So we are an important project for the Republic of the Congo. You mentioned the, the you know, the dependency on, on revenue from oil. Well, clearly that's, that's been in decline. And the government's acutely aware of the need to diversify away from that dependence on, on oil-based revenue. So they're supportive of us. They expect us to do our work and, uh, and honour our commitments, which is great. I, I, I believe we have uh, the start of a very, very healthy working relationship with that government. Okay, good. Well, look, Brad, thanks for that uh, introduction to your story. I mean, I'd love to stay in touch and sort of see how you progress because the, the timeframes aren't huge. Um, and I'd like to sort of see you deliver on those touch points that you've mentioned during this call. Um, so do pick up the phone and let us know how you're getting on, please. Um, and we will do a little bit of background research to sort of uh, see see um, what we can find out about doing business in country. Because as I say, it's been a while since we've 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 operated there for, uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. It was it was it was quite easy when we were there, and I'm you know glad to hear mm -hmm. that things are the well, same now. I am um, appreciate the time, and I certainly look forward to coming back and. Uh, 
and telling you of our progress and, uh, and, and we're, we're ticking the boxes and moving this forward. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.